0: Welcome back to the Backyard Professor videos. Um, I'm going to share a subject that I have just always been fascinated about. I, I There's no reason to fight uh, against ignoring this subject. Now, let me give you a brief background and then I'll explain why to me this subject can be so doggone exciting and, and exquisitely interesting when I, when I ended up stopping being a Mormon apologist. Uh, I just got disgruntled with the, the ideology. It was too naive. Uh, In trying to assess the reality, demonstrating that ideology true through archaeological, literary, historical, linguistic, philosophical, scientific, means whatever means all of the means together just didn't seem to work and I basically went off into an atheist binge for probably three or four years and I really I ended up misunderstanding something that through later reflection I have now come back to and saw where my shortcomings And this is just for me, you know, I'm not going to try to convince anyone that I got it right and therefore you should follow after my path and journey. No, but I am going to share with you some ideas, insights I've gleaned through an enormous amount of thought, research, uh, analysis, meditation. I think... The atheists have gotten some things very right and correct, and and powerfully argued for. I also think they got some things entirely wrong, and they did and they continue to miss the boat on everything when it comes to this subject of the Bible. That's just what I... This is me. This is my approach. And and I'll share with you through several videos uh, the shortcomings as well as the strengths of the atheist argument in a nutshell so far as I can give it to you. Based on what I see right now, this this shows sincerely you guys the uh, the importance of remaining flexible uh, love him or hate him, you nibbly got it right in Zeal. Uh, the Zeal for Knowledge. or something. I can't remember. Zeal without knowledge. I can't remember the name of the article. Dang it. It's one of his best ones, too. Zeal without knowledge. Zeal without knowledge. Yeah. Uh, the correct cure for um, arriving at a point where you think you have it all figured out is to keep forging ahead. Look, I I don't care if you agree or disagree with his Book of Mormon Apologetics, his Book of Abraham, his ancient history. That's irrelevant. He got that one right. What I see the atheists doing correctly is they have really, truly, pulled the rug out from under the feet of an ideological interpretation of what was hoped the Bible would end up being, right, and the naive application of archaeology, biblical archaeology, which is a misname, and thereby proving, or even supporting, one's religious hopes, ideas, beliefs, faith, what have you, right? The ideas, uh, because of the, look, there can be no finality, man. That is, that is, that is square number one here. Uh, if you want certainty, if you want finality, then you really are going to have to agree to adapt to the faith paradigm. Which, from my personal stance, can't be right, ultimately. Because we don't get certainty here. I, I you know, testify all you want to guess at it's not going to affect me. We are finite and limited here. We only get a small slice, whether it's through vision, hearing, taste, sight, smell, whatever, uh, compared to the spectrum that is available. Our brains are not sponges absorbing all of it. Our brains are filters keeping the vast majority of reality out. We are very limited. We can't deal with certainty. The the hope seems to me like was the scholars were attempting and I mean this went on for like a hundred years really starting in the uh, well let's say mid 50. let's say just because most of us are Mormons or former Mormons whatever let's say as a starting point Joseph Smith's death on two the 1970's 1840 to 1970 130 years, that'll keep things simple yeah the theme in that period was here we have this sacred text we want it proven to justify our Christianity And the best way to do that is through archaeology. Now that's it. I promise it's simplified just to give us a, a starting context out of the gate. So we want to verify the Christianity that we accept. From 1840 to 1970 that was the generalized method. It is that method that atheists and if you will hardcore scientists have truly demonstrated can't possibly be the best way. It's just not right. When I when I went off onto the uh, the atheist paradigm for a while, and I bought quite a few books. I've got them over there on the bookshelf, man. Yeah, at least four dozen of them, no joke. Great books. Read every one of them. They're fabulous books. They make strong points. Let's give credit where credit's due. The the naive, literal, historical interpretation feeds atheism. I, I mean, you, you Christians and you Mormons who haven't gotten to that basic point yet, <laughs> you're going to have a hard time, man. Uh, the atheists have won the war against the literal historical. I can give them full credit for that. Truly. The way in which uh, Christians and Mormons literalized it—that can't possibly be real. That is the atheist success story. That is the paradigm that they have eliminated as as uh, being rational or credible, however you want, to, however you want to look at that. So, in that sense, point to the atheists you gotta give them credit. If you think you're gonna refute the atheist arguments against your literal history, you, you obviously have not been paying attention to what they're saying or writing, truly. Now, that being said, as we've gone through this last 130 years, New materials have been acquired through the relentless curiosity, thank God, of all parties involved. Didn't matter whether you're a fundamentalist Christian, didn't matter whether you're a Mormon, didn't matter whether you're a literal dirt digging archaeologist, it didn't matter if you were a scholar dealing with texts, it didn't matter. Everyone involved. With this extra amassing of material, archaeologically discovered material now, I'm thinking things like the Ras Shamra texts, 1928 I believe, and the vast majority of them still are not translated, amazingly enough. I'm talking about discoveries like the Gilgamesh epic, the Mesopotamian Enuma Elish, the the Pyramid Texts, the Egyptian Coffin Texts, the Books of the Dead, the Dead Sea Scrolls, are the famous ones, the Nag Hammadi. They, they've now discovered various palimpsests that they have now, because of our electronic wizardry, we can see underneath the surface text to see what had been erased, and we're finding some really cool stuff there. Archaeologically, there's been a lot of texts discovered that truly changed the picture. In the process, and, and we found more and more ruins that were not mentioned in the Bible. We have discovered that many, many identities of ruins that had been identified with the Bible actually were misidentified. There's been others that were skipped over that have now been identified and we find now aha that does have a biblical tie in with uh, a particular city or area that the Old Testament or the New Testament does mention. So through this process of time of effort, of creative imagination, and enormous work, physically, spiritually, mentally, psychologically, scholarly, our picture has changed. That has caused us to change our assumptions, some willingly, some not so willingly. There are still some today who really don't like this new view. But it is occurring, it's actually speeding up, (laughs) truly, and uh, now we've learned to adjust. Because the picture we have today just is not the picture we had, well, I mean even within my lifetime, truly. And, And before then, no way. So, it's a new, I mean, even even each one of the Jesus quests have uh, grown, shifted direction, changed their emphasis, changed their methods, no question there. Oh, boy, read that Jesus, wow, yeah. So, our naivete originally as children as beginners when it first began and we started with this idea this theme hey look there are some things we have to face the basis like it or not doesn't matter the basis of the Western civilization belongs to the base of the Hebrews and then it grows expands and moves from there. Yeah. So the western civilization is just based on the Bible. Get over it. But it doesn't have to be the interpretation of the Bible of the 1890s. Because of the the, the continuing rolling forward, I'll put it that way. We recognize now that Joseph Smith, in his day, pre-biblical archaeology was without question a very creative, and I'm, I'm not doing that disparagingly, I'm serious, uh, come on, you got to give him credit where credit's due, the man was creative. With a lot of biblical doctrines, I mean, he came up with stuff that nobody else had up to that point. So, there is that, right? However, with interlaced with that creativity is uh, a general, just, and I'm not trying to be disparaging here. I'm I'm going to try to make this realistic. I'm kind of at a loss for words how to. Here I am. I'm trying to categorize him. I'm trying to catalog him, right? Because there are different catalogs now that we have to uh, understand in order to see the differences of today. We don't read the Bible the same today, you guys, as they did in Joseph Smith's day. I I mean, if you really think that's the case, you're way behind. You've got to time to come up to date. Maybe my videos can help you do that because this is one area that I am greatly exercised and interested in because for me, just for me, the ancient stuff is fascinating. Uh, It is interesting. It's remarkable. It's useful. Just bear with me on that one. Joseph Smith approached the bible just like everybody else did in his day in a a much simpler and i'm not saying immature because it wasn't immature he put great energy into it come on he is he is further beyond than the dinglings in salt lake city right now today who are scared spitless of learning anything at least Joseph Smith gave it a college try and he gathered the group of the guys together and said, let's start a school of the prophets. Why on earth was that never ever picked back up and carried forward all the way up to today? Why weren't we learning those languages of the world? Joseph Smith himself set the precedent and his later followers lazy learners all refuse to pick it back up. And it is to their loss, no question. With what very little I've studied, the Hebrew and the Greek, at this point, I can tell you right now, it is an opening experience into the, uh, well, the ancient world, the Bible, spirituality, uh, historic reality, etc. But it's... It can't be the same. It's not the same as that manner in which uh, Joseph Smith read it. We've changed that. We've gotten we've gotten to the point where we can't approach it constructively or usefully now based on all that has gone on since Cumorah. I'll steal one of Nibley's lines. I'll steal one of his book titles. Since Kimora, he wanted to show the progress of, of archaeology and history and, and the answering of the criticisms of the Book of Mormon and things like that. Okay, yeah, since Kimora, since Kimora, up to today, really, we can't. you can't go back. Once you take the rose-colored glasses off, You don't get to put them back on and imagine, ah, there's reality. And no, you're aware you've had a filter on Once you take that filter off, you have to see things differently. That's my point. We have no choice today. But it is a remarkably fascinating thing we're seeing today. And what I wanted to do is share why archaeology did not support sustain verify if you will my faith that i was taught i should have religiously based on the way that i was taught on how i should read the scriptures and and i did that for a long time and now i see that while that might have some value really truly it's time i mean I, I i hate to use the metaphor out of the scripture but paul comes to mind truly when i was a child i behaved as a child i spoke like a child i acted like a child but now it's time to put away that and move forward move on because like the butterfly coming out of the cocoon once you're done being a caterpillar you can't stay in the cocoon. You spread your wings and you fly out into an entire new, open, beautiful view. This is a good metaphor for what has occurred uh, worldwide with the scholarship, with the religious people, those who are paying attention uh, with in, in relation to the Bible and in relation to ancient Israel, Here's the thing that also is so really, truly fantastic. We now know, without question, that the question isn't just about ancient Israel. Now, they may not have even been the major culture. And we're aware of that now. Man, they may not have even been the major influence. But the reason we have been um, brought up to think that, to believe that, to assume that, is simply because of the selection of the, the writings from antiquity that were gathered together and preserved. And then that was handed down. But that's based on someone's ideology, not necessarily historical occurrence. Not Maybe it wasn't how it actually was. Israel might not have been the center of attention. I guess that's a good way to put this. The Bible gives us uh, the means to assume that it is a perfect assumption until now, uh, because we have a much clearer picture, I'm, I'm I'm not saying perfect, I'm not saying completely accurate, but we do have a much clearer picture, not only of how the writings were preserved, how they were gathered, how they were compiled, copied, etc., and in some cases, unfortunately, other writings were ignored and therefore they crumbled to dust or else they were deliberately destroyed fires, wars, what have you so that our value is skewed by simply the preservation of the biblical text, right? (laughs) That could be an assumption you know we assume that uh, Israel was the greatest powerhouse, say, whether that's militarily, economically, spiritually, etc. Man, at one time, they they all thought, I, I mean, you can even read the Bible today, and it just shocks you, but they actually thought Israel basically existed and survived in a vacuum. There was no other environmental influence whatsoever. Only God and Israel. Only God and Israel. God would speak and Israel would either obey or disobey or whatever. I mean, even the prophets ranting and raving and screaming against the other nations. Isaiah and Jeremiah and all of them. Well, yeah, but they were always over there. You know, they had the they had the different deities, they had the different culture, they dressed different than we did, they certainly ate different foods, they didn't have our scripture, so they don't have our understanding, so they don't have our covenant, so we are the primary inhabitants in this area. See, all of that's assumption, and all of that has basically been modified Uh, pacified perhaps is a good way to put it, simply because our, we have, I mean, come on, we have 3,000 years of historical telescoping back and a broadened context. We have a 3,000 year advantage on theirs, on their view. And that's why we can now see the focus better and that has changed the dynamics concerning international relationships back then and how they existed, how they were formed, how they influenced other people. There are several other groups of people that weren't even mentioned in the Old Testament, that we are now well aware existed right within Israel's borders. And you say, that can't be because God gave each one of those 12 tribes a piece of land and that was sacrosanct. See, that is the assumption of having the survival of only the Bible. That's our modern assumption based on an ancient ideology. Well, we're the chosen people. We're the important ones. So only this is our land. God covenanted with us. He promised Abraham the land, right? And so from their perspective, they identified their different tribes and peoples in various parts of that land. And now we know, I'm not kidding, archaeologically, historically, documentarily, we know there were other groups of people that they never even mentioned because they just weren't important. Well, they aren't covenant people, don't sweat. Forget them. Let's talk about the tribe of Dan. Dan's doing something wrong over there, or Judah, or Reuben, or Simeon. And and then you have that famous legend, the, the lost ten tribes, you know, they were taken away in the north by Sennacherib of Assyria. See, all of that is from the Israelites' point of view, and that's what's been preserved, that's what we have, so we think we know all about the history of the ancient Israelite land area, all the way up and down the coast of the Mediterranean, all the way down to Egypt to the south, all the way up north to Turkey, past Tyre and Sidon on the coast, all the way up north into Turkey, over by what has now recently been discovered, Gobekli Tepe, although that's not in the Bible, that's way before Israel was even a Twinkie in God's eye, and then all the way over east to the uh, Tigris and Euphrates. You know the land of Ur, Mesopotamia, Babylon, Syria—all of those areas. We know there were a lot of different groups. The Bible never even mentions. We we're still discovering their uh, interactions, their relationships. This new. Um, understanding has changed the nature and the assumptions of what we have been thinking was proper to call biblical archaeology they don't do that now today. There is a and it's a very strong movement see originally and I will get into the texts and I will describe the specific texts in the next video I, I'm going to have to make this in the introduction because I'm explaining way too much. I don't want this to be a five-hour long video, but I'll make this a series of videos because the subject is so pee picking blast fascinating. Because of the way archaeology is being carried out now, because of the really cool scientific breakthroughs of ground-penetrating radar and drone flying overhead. And seeing things from above, we are finding new settlements and areas, new trails and paths, new ancient boundaries between lands and stuff we're seeing new, we're seeing where the old water shorelines of certain lakes or old riverbeds went, and they're beginning to make more sense of some of the things that are mentioned in the Bible that everyone's been throwing up their hands and just guessing about. So this new technology really is a huge help. At the same time, we have to remain flexible to be able to moderate our own assumptions, to change, moderate, modify our own knowledge, modify our own assumptions, begin to realize, oh man, there is there is more to this than meets the eye and very simplistically here and I know you could you could get me on the details that's fine no big deal let's go from 1840 again Joseph Smith's day to 1970 is probably a little too late let's say 1960. Uh, I think the breakdown began about then well my birth, from Joseph Smith's death to my birth, 1844 to 1960, 1961. That's pretty good. The theme of biblical archaeology was carried forward by white Protestant American males. And you know, through reading several dozen books and archaeology texts and magazines and scholarly articles by the hundreds I have hundreds of photocopied scholarly. you think I'm kidding don't you you really do think I'm kidding don't you I'm gonna show you over there see all those stacks see all those stacks hundreds of... now you can't see behind this bookshelf but there's two more rows of those photocopies and, and and I mean that goes all the way there's thousands of pages of materials there that I photocopied out of various different scholarly texts on all kinds of oh, whoops, on all kinds of subjects uh, a lot of it has to do with uh, the archaeology and the history and all that jazz. Oh my goodness. I'm really blowing this, aren't I? Amateur hour. Oh, well. Everyone knows I'm an amateur anyway. But I am an enthusiastic amateur. So I'll, I'll get into the de- details with you on the on the specific texts, some of the players, some of their attitudes, uh, and what has changed the attitudes. Which discoveries? Which texts? I, come on, we're all... You gotta be familiar with the idea that, I, I mean seriously, when were they found? 1945, the Dead Sea Scrolls and Malachi, they are actually found within a year of each other. Which, honest, that was, that was stinking cool. That was quite remarkable, man. And of course, everybody and their dog jumped on those. I said, ah, yes, the Bible has been proven. Our Christian faith is firm and intact. Uh, Following the lead of Hugh Nibley and Sidney B. Sperry, uh, you know, they find all these parallels with the Book of Mormon. And so, of course, they verify, they prove, they demonstrate that the Book of Mormon is authentic and ancient, you know. Everybody and their dog was jumping on these dead sea scrolls Through time, the Jewish scholars began to show that the Christians had overplayed their mark. Well, I mean, they continued this all the way up into the 2000s with Robert Eisenman's material. He was wanting to try to establish the fact that the Dead Sea Scrolls were dated to New Testament times, and he wanted Paul and uh, the New Testament personalities to be involved. Stephen, the stoning of Stephen, James, the brother of Jesus, he wanted the Ebionites and all those guys to be in the Dead Sea Scrolls. I mean, talk about beautiful, direct, historical, archaeological confirmation of the New Testament story and how it was transformed and changed and elaborated on. And that never came through. But see, everybody was trying to do this. Nibbly did this with the Book of Mormon. And that's the stuff I was raised on. That's what turned me on as an apologist, man. Hey, I can show you. I can show you, dude. The Book of Mormon is for real. Check out this from the Dead Sea Scrolls. How about the name Alma from the Bar Kokhba documents? How about Nahum? You know, that kind of thing everybody was doing that. Biblical archaeology. The school of William F. Albright, you have Wellhausen and those guys, but, but I mean, for my era, Albright was the big dog. Him, and actually William Dever uh, was beginning to come up, but it was William F. Albright, Frank Moore Cross, Mark Smith, all those guys. I think Mark Smith was a little later. Israel Finkelstein and Neil Asher Silberman and uh, William Dever, they're actually still alive. They're up into our day. I think Albright died in 1972 or something like that. Well, Albright's entire paradigm has now been shown to be marred, if not directly just wrong, because of so many assumptions he held, and I can get into that in the next video. I'll do that in video number two. For all of this, it is the, it, it's up to, I'll say, and make no mistake about it, William F. Albright was absolutely top dog man. The guy, I have hundreds of his articles out of the Journal of Biblical Literature and the Journal of Egyptian Archaeology. I, the man was a linguistic genius. He was... Phenomenal. All of his particular philosophy of how archaeology supported his Protestant understanding of the Bible, of Israel, of the New Testament, of Jesus, all of that paradigm is what the atheists have refuted. I honestly think they've won the war on it. Uh, well, the uh that might not be exactly right. The evangelical Christians, the evangel the television preachers, you know, those. The evangelical, the literalizers, the, the dingling that actually made the duplicate of uh, Noah's Ark in Ohio to prove the story of Noah really happened the way the Bible said it you know, stupid shit like that. Those guys are what the atheists have destroyed. Now, in giving them credit, you don't have to become an atheist, but give them credit because those assumptions really were naive. Yeah. Today is different. Now, because of the new scientific way of being able to uh, analyze the ground and under the ground in rock and so on and so forth, because of our, our methods, our technology, our physical tools that we use with our hands to uncover an archaeological ruin instead of just Chop of the great big 3-foot, 10-foot deep wide trench right through the middle, which ugh, just makes you cringe, man. Method matters. Now we're much more careful. We don't just pull stuff out and say, hey, take my picture. Joshua's proven true. No, all of that stupid idiot thinking of proving something true in the Bible Thank God those days are over. Now we are much more careful, much more systematic, and we get a thousand times the amount of accurate information. Because our scientific methodology has greatly improved because of our scientific knowledge knowledge has greatly improved, and we can put it to work. Well, that's changed so that now, Archaeology, it it was fairly somewhat popular in Europe, but now it really is. But also the Jewish scholars have now gotten more involved, which is really good because it's nice to have the Jewish, the Christian, there are several atheist archaeologists, believe it or not, well, scholars anyway. So this idea of having the Christians, the Mormons jumped on this, you know, Having a cross-disciplinary, intellectual, spiritual group working together on uh, an archaeological, within an archaeological context, that's much better. I I mean now we can begin to get uh, much closer. To reality. All right. How else am I going to put this, right? So so today there are some exciting new philosophical approaches. There's some exciting new and and the the support, come on, archaeology doesn't make you a millionaire unless you find King Tut's tomb, right? And the vast majority of archaeologists don't find that great of a finding. Uh, but the the support for it now, uh, it, it comes and goes. I hope it's a little better. Uh, Dever really kind of screams about that, and rightly so, because we've actually rounded a corner. And I'll explain that in the next video, too. We We've turned a corner in what we have really discovered, which we can now legitimately say, at least from a Bayes' Theorem point of view, that the probability of some of the tentative conclusions that we've come to at this point, though they have nothing to do with proving the Bible true or the Book of Mormon true or any of that silly noise, The probability that we really are getting closer to the real Israel, anciently, is really beginning to manifest itself in really cool ways. And that's what I want to share with you. I wanted to get into it with all these texts. I've got got a bunch more stupid books to show you and try to describe some different archaeologists, their methods. And their ideas and their hopes and their goals, and and how they're working with the material remains now. And what is the actual relationship with archaeology and history? What is the actual relationship between history and religion? What is the actual ancient, the, the actual relationship of culture with history or culture with religious history? What was the ancient politics like? Did ancient politics really affect the way we read the Bible? You bet your bottom button it did. Well, now we know that. So our interpretations are actually beginning to be much better, much more realistic. That's what I mean when I say, look, this subject is not dead. Don't think it's gone away. Just because an atheist has declared Yahweh was a real jerk. That is quite simplistic. There there are much more interesting ways to look at it than that. So, uh, I'm excited to share this. I'm going to make a series of videos on this because this is one that is just whatever, for whatever reason, is near and dear to my heart. And I'm not an archaeologist. I'm not a biblical scholar. I'm not a scholar of any sort. I don't have any kind of a PhD, but I do have an enthusiasm and I have read an enormous amount of materials. I do have a few friends that I can fall back on and discuss some things. And if I don't know answers and they don't know answers, They are in touch with biblical scholars and biblical archaeologists and Egyptologists, and we can still communicate. We live in a great age for that, right? And I'm getting to know more and more people that are in good scholarly places also. The misnomer biblical archaeology is truly no longer used, and I'll explain that in the next video too. Archaeology is definitely used. And the Bible is definitely used. Don't don't kid yourself. I know, at one point I even mentioned on message boards, oh yeah, the Bible is just an old old book with just a bunch of opinions. What good is it? Man, I was never more wrong. That was a very self-centered, selfish, (laughs) American, Christian point of view. Well, now I see how naive I was because of my further reading of the archaeologists, of the Jewish scholars, on learning the languages of the Bible. Well, that changes the parameters of pretty much everything. So, flexibility. Seriously, flexibility and and a mind willing to say, look, I didn't have all the pieces of the puzzle. I have acquired some new evidence in a very Bayesian theorem type thinking. I have acquired new nuances of evidence. I need to integrate that into my picture and I need to adjust my belief or, or adjust my knowledge of my thinking and I need to keep expanding and growing. And when, when you don't know, it's good. It's okay to say, I don't know. Because the vast majority of this stuff, I don't know. But when you do know, and you acquire something new, and it says you were wrong about that, so let that go, and, and look at that now this way. Flexibility. Be able to turn course and look at it that way. And you acquire a more accurate picture. Now, isn't that what I've been saying about Mormonism and its history? And and, and the silly way that they've treated their own history. Yeah, my review of, of the uh, great debate with Radio Free Mormon and the Midnight Mormons. That's what I harped on more than anything else. Well, interestingly enough, you guys, This applies as well to the Bible and archaeology and the relationships and interrelationships of all of the disciplines. Seriously. Geology. Geography. Oceanography. You think I'm kidding, don't you? No. There's some new studies coming. I'm telling you, this is not a dead subject. It's not a useless subject. Like at one point, a few years back, I thought new. No. Uh-uh. There are some really cool, interesting new developments. If we will keep forging forward, I I am proposing to you, I'm going to produce many videos on this topic through the up and coming years. Hey, it's not going to be my only focus. Of course, I've still got a whole bunch of crap about Mormonism. I got a backhand for their idiocy. I'm going to do the same thing with a bunch of Christian interpretations, too. In fact, I'm going to argue against some of the Jewish interpretations, too. And, of course, always out of my own abject ignorance, but, hey, it's a lot of fun to get involved. Jump in with both feet anyway and see if you can swim in the deep end. Here we go. I'm going to try to do the back swim, <laughs> The backstroke. So, um, why archaeology has not confirmed my... Faith, and see here again, I'm already adding a nuance from this title, how archaeology has not affirmed my faith, my naive faith, but I have a more uh, nuanced view, a a nuanced knowledge, a nuanced understanding, limited though it really is. I'm I'm really, I'm abysmally ignorant in all of this. But I am acquiring more and more. And even that little bit, what little I know and have, has really actually enlarged me. And it's helped me to recognize where my naivety is, where my ignorance is, what areas I can do better at studying in in different historic epochs or different types of uh, methods. Satellite technology, believe it or not, I kid you not, satellite technology, fabulous for archaeology. Bayes' theorem, archaeologists are beginning to use that as a basis for coming to much, much better, quote, knowledge of something ancient. True story. Mathematics, I, I kid you not. So, exciting things, exciting things. And, and I'll share these with you. I'll just call this the introduction video. Sorry, I didn't mean to ramble so long, but it actually is important to get a little bit of that background like this. Truly. This is one area where background is essential, just like in Bayes' theorem. So, that's enough for now. I'm done. I'm rambling now, sorry. I don't want to bore the heck out of you. But, thanks for watching my Backyard Professor videos. Be good, do well, have fun, be kind. I really mean that. And truly, let's remember those poor people in that ridiculously stupid, heinous, immoral attack by that lunatic in that van that ran through that Christmas Day parade and killed five people. They were aged 52 to 81, and he hurt about 48 children, six or seven of them are critical, they may not live, uh, we don't We don't need to do this. Come on, we, we don't need to be this way. We don't need to accept that kind of behavior. We're better than that. Let's put on our better selves. Let's come together, learn, sure we can disagree and all that jazz, but let's do this together as genuine human beings, working together, not condemning, judging others because they think differently or smell different than we do or look different than we do. We don't need to polarize things, you know. We're in this together, so let's have fun together. That's my philosophy. So. Thanks for watching my backyard professor videos. I will see you guys in the next video in this series. I'll just call it uh, archaeology. Why archaeology didn't confirm my faith number two, or so. I'll, I'll I'll number these so that you can get it. So I'll try hard not to ramble. I'll actually give you some good, solid, detailed information out of the books. I have several archaeological texts, historical arguments. On all that, and brand new updated archaeology. That's what got me excited to try to do this in the first place. Some good stuff has just come out, so I'll share that with you. So, I'll see you guys in the next video.